<laughs> I think balance is so overrated. You know, this concept, like, like the mythical ridgeline that one day I'll have balance. I don't know anyone that has balance. Mm -hmm. I don't have balance. And so I think it's way overrated. And the thought that you're supposed to have balance or that I'm supposed to have balance created incredible stress for me. So I say, forget about it. That's what I say. I say, forget about this idea of balance and work on being present. That's Michael Gervais. And this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Let me ask you this. What do you think are the consistent behavioral themes across the spectrum of high performers, athletes, entrepreneurs, artists, change makers? Is there a common thread connecting those who change how we understand how the world works? These are the central themes, the questions that drive this week's guest, and it's the subject matter underlying this week's conversation. My name is Rich Roll. This is my podcast. And today I sit down for a third and awesome conversation with one of my very favorite people, my good friend, Michael Gervais. If you missed our earlier conversations, you can find them in my archives. Mike is a high-performance psychologist working in the trenches of high-stakes environments where there is no luxury for mistakes, for hesitation, or failure to respond. His clientele include the elite of the elite, the most prolific Olympic and professional athletes, MVPs in every major sport, high-level military, internationally acclaimed artists, musicians, and Fortune 100 CEOs. You might recall Michael as the guy the Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll credits as integral in their 2014 Super Bowl win for teaching the team meditation, mindfulness, and other crucial team building techniques uh, that he helped foster and instill into the very fabric of that organization, that culture that really paved the team's path towards incredible success. Michael is also the guy who helped Felix Baumgartner, the Red Bull Stratos guy, overcome his anxiety and his claustrophobia so that he could basically jump from space. And similarly, he helped Luke Akins, that skydiver guy who jumped from a plane at 20,000, 25,000, yeah, 25,000 feet without a parachute last summer. And I would say that that is a pretty high stakes scenario. Uh, a published peer reviewed author and recognized speaker on optimal human performance, Michael has been featured on CNN, The Wall Street Journal, ESPN, NBC, NFL Network, Red Bull TV, Extra, The Huffington Post, Outside Magazine. In other words, he is the dude. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure 
my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go. And it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. 
My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story. But basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Michael Gervais, what to say. You know what's interesting about Michael uh, is his commitment to really scaling what he has learned working with all these amazing people, to divining the principles that drive high performance and, and making them accessible and implementable for the rest of us. And that's something he's doing with his consulting firm that he founded called Win Forever, or I should say co-founded uh, with Coach Carroll. And also his podcast, Finding Mastery, which is just great. You guys should all subscribe to that if you're not doing so already. Because look, the vast majority of us are not super elite, high-performing athletes, but all of us are still required to perform daily. And in our own ways, we we all navigate our own high-stakes environments and can benefit just as much with the right mindset training. So that's what today is about. I love this guy. Love this exchange. And like I said, it's our third one and they just keep getting better. And this is, I guess, what you would call a crossover episode as Mike and I are are both sharing this episode on our respective shows. So it's not really me interviewing him or him interviewing me. It's more of a kind of free flowing, uh, evenly apportioned type of conversation. Okay, enough. Let's get into it. Cool, man. Ready to do this. Good to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for uh, coming out, man. I appreciate it. What a beautiful place, Chef. Thank you, man. Um, excited to talk to you. I don't know how many times we, how many conversations we've had, but it's got to be, I don't know, four, five, six or something like that. And, and each one of them for me start out the same way, which is like, where are we going to go? Yeah, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, the first thing is that I wanted to know a little bit more about is, 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 how this adventure that you're having with the podcast uh, is going for you and evolving. It's really cool. I've, I've, I've watched it grow and I've watched it evolve and I've, I've watched you take risks and try new things. And it's been really cool. And it's, it's exciting to see it connecting with audiences. Like I feel proud of you. you I, know, I was just going to tell the story. Yeah. I, you know, I want to, I want to just say out loud again, thank you because what happened was you you said, Mike, I'd like to get you on the podcast. And I said, I think I know what a podcast is. But mm-hmm. and so it was meant to be a good conversation, is how you, you know, sold it to me, if you will. And we I, we had a great conversation on this was like It was uh, a long time. It had to be th- I don't know, at least three years ago, I think. Yeah, it what for sure. It must have been. And I loved it. And I saw what you were doing, and I I got to tell my story and not that my story matters but it was it was it was wonderful to be able to talk in depth in a real conversation about things that really mattered to me mm-hmm. and i thought i'd like to give that gift to other people yeah and now you're doing it i mean i think i even said to you after that like you should have i mean you the, said, the medium yeah. is perfect for you it is you know what what happened for me for a long time is that so as a licensed psychologist who I work with and the nature of what we talk about is privileged. And so I don't own I don't own the rights to any of that. The client does, the patient, if you will. And I don't call them patients. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, right? Like they're they're extraordinary humans. And so the word patients has a funny little term to or baggage with it. But so 
that was all kept in like this working laboratory, um, very much a sanctuary type experience and relationship. And then, so the thought of being able to have a public conversation was never a thought, never a thought. Right. And until you said, no, no, no. Like, why don't you get some of your friends' friends? Why don't you, you know, don't ask your clients. Well, and also it's just your approach. It's the way you ask questions. It's your curiosity. And it's the ideas that percolate out of those conversations that are applicable in a broad way. It doesn't have to be a patient, you know, doctor relationship. No, it can't, it can't be. Right. Right? No, it can't. And I hope that people that come on Finding Mastery don't feel like that. But I will say that people walk away saying two things. <laughs> they say, that was intense. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel a little better because of it. You know, and, it's and like, a lot of like, no one's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I hear, I hear, I hear folks on your podcast say the same thing. Like, good question. Probably not to the extent they, they, uh, they say it to you. And what's funny is that, is that, I mean, we must have, we have so much overlap in our, in our guest pool. Like there's at least a dozen people that, I, there's been a multiple occasions where somebody came right from your show and came to me and vice versa in the same day. Twice, it's, I, yeah. for sure it's happened twice. And, and I always think to myself, like the competitive part of me, like, damn it, Rich. You know, well, like, I'm always like, <laughs> like, I think it was, I think Anthony Irvin came here right after doing yours. And I was like, oh, he's gonna be tired. And Michael just put him through the, you know, the <laughs> guy's got nothing left, you know? No, he was awesome. No, well, didn't he have great, great energy? Like, but he, I love listening to your, your like, cause what you do is similar, but it's very different. And I'm like, oh man, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that question? And you get to go so deep with these people. Like you're very gifted at it. Well, thank you. And I would say, where you take folks is like so organic and so real that, that that attraction pays dividends for listeners. And as a, let's call it a, um, I don't know, what kind of listener am I? I've got like at least three lenses when I listen to mm-hmm. others' podcasts, including yours. One is like, I'm a learner. I just want to learn. Another is as a trained psychologist, like to see the depth and the nature and the stuttering and the hesitations or the exuberance to go somewhere. And then the, the texture of those responses. And then as like this quasi-professional, like the the linking of questions and the linking of thoughts. So Mm -hmm. your organic nature, like what's happening right now, is right. Just, I mean, you're gonna make me self-conscious now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because the listening. laser, yeah. <laughs> the laser eyes are uh, are upon me. Oh, like, God, it, it's yeah. so good. No, 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 no like, it's not like that. But I've I've down. actually had to work. I would say almost my entire adult life for sure, and it probably goes back to earlier to extract judgment and to what does that mean? Like to not not judge, mm-hmm. to not be critical, and I think there's a. You know, there's a real thought that to become great at something, you need to be critical. I, I'm not sure that I would ever, now that what I've come to learn would prescribe that that is a path. And But there's discernment. Discernment is different. Yeah, for, for sure. But that thought like that I'm gonna put you under some sort of right. something, I, I'm not critical of myself nor, nor you, like, but I'm really curious about the intensity, the curiosity, the tone, like where are you gonna take the conversation? Where, mm-hmm. How am I gonna respond? Mm-hmm. And so anyways, yeah. you know what I wanted to ask you? I wanted to ask you about, so we both had Alex and Ald on mm-hmm. and like, I think he's one of the most significant minds in sport right now. And so I'd love to, I'd love to ask you what, I, our setup was different. So I had him in a, a live environment. And so I, it was- uh, I, Yeah, you were like at USC in front of a huge auditorium. The Bova, yeah, it was, um, it was amazing. And so, but it's a different nature when it's a public conversation, you know, there's a little bit of a fishbowl experience. And I'd love to 
learn, and maybe we can swap notes here, is what you learned. And then, you know, I'd love to share that as well, my, my perspective. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that I agree with you. I think he's one of the most brilliant athletes walking planet earth right now. I mean, what he's capable of doing is boggles the mind. And I, I just think his proficiency and his his mastery, to use your word, is on a level that, you know, few athletes are are capable of achieving. Like, in a scenario in which the risks and the, you know, could not be higher, right? It's just unbelievable what he's able to do. And I think what I took away from him, well, a couple things. I mean, first of all, you know, speaking of ego as the enemy, there's a, there's a, a tremendous groundedness to him and humility um, that I would imagine must be, you know, must be due to parenting and the way he was raised because, you know, you would expect somebody of that stature to carry themselves a little bit differently. So I found that to be very impressive amongst you know, his many qualities, but I think that stuck with me the most. And I think the other thing was his ability to, um, to exercise that discernment so that he can be focused on the things that are most important to him, right? In a world in which he's getting pulled in a million different directions, he has the strength and the will to turn that channel down so that he can do what he's here to do. Yeah, very cool. I, I think he, for me, he represented all of that. And I found it to be, there's one other thing, his ability to trust himself. Mm -hmm. When, he, when, if he does make mistakes, it's not like he's mistake free, but when he makes mistakes, his ability to adjust and his ability to trust himself to adjust in a very highly consequential environment is like no other. Right. There's only handfuls of people and handfuls of environments, workforces, if you will, that, um, that, 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 that is, it's that intense. And I spent some time, brief amount of time, I always have such a high regard for people that put their lives on the line for other people's well-being. And I spent some time on, in the, on the USS Truman and it was a dip in and dip out. It's one of the beautiful aircraft carriers or very intense aircraft carriers, uh, the uh, American Navy. And so, it's the most dangerous place to work is on the air deck. Mm -hmm. And when I was talking to, it was the XO or was it CO? XO, who was one of the two heads of the USS Truman, he was a former pilot. And the way he described to me his craft, he says, have you ever been in a car accident? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you remember the adrenaline that happened? I said, oh yeah. Like there's a lot, of, have you been in one before? No. You have not. Mm -mm. Other than like a fender bender. Yeah, never okay. Been in like a real was there adrenaline rush. rush there? I don't remember. Or was it, or was it more like, a, what was that? I'm easily, you know, I, I, that, the adrenaline rush is easily triggered. In Does that me, happen? So I would you? say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So he, he said, um, so let's say that somebody hasn't had that experience as a car crash. If you can recall what he was trying to conjure up, the most intense adrenaline rush you've ever had. He says, um, his left leg would shake. And here's the story he shared with me. And I'm gonna map this back to Alex in just mm -hmm. a second, is that he was, this is how he was trying to describe his, the danger in his job and the way it feels, is that he was driving, he and his family, they loaded up a, a rig and um, the tr a truck and a fifth wheel, is that what you call it? Like mm -hmm. it was, they were moving and he mm -hmm. was taking some stuff to the new destination and he was tired and he's a tough guy, he says, and he's kind of trying to grind out the, the, the fatigue. And he starts to drift out of his lane. 
and he comes back too. And there's a semi screaming his horn coming the other direction. So he swerves just a little bit. I think he, I can't remember if it was ice or not. I can't remember that part of the story, but it's like he felt very out of control in this moment. And he's like, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then all of a sudden his fifth wheel started to parallel with his car. So it was like a, what do you call that? Like a jackknife. Hydroplane, yeah. Yeah, right, so he was, right, he was right. hydroplane, but the, the back, the back um, rig, if you will, was now parallel to his truck. Right. So he makes this kind of Ameri uh, American, uh, amazing adjustment and his truck and fifth wheel straighten out and the, the rig just barely misses him as the dramatic story should end, right? And he pulls off to the side and he said, if you can imagine what that was like, my legs were shaking, my arms were trembling. I wasn't breathing during that time, but it was amazing. And I was frightened. And he said, that's what it's like every time I try to land on an aircraft carrier. Wow. So that intensity will get Alex killed. So that's not what Alex has. And so when we think about dangerous risk takers, dangerous environments, risk takers, that's not the same environment that Alex lives in. That's not his internal system. His internal system, as I've come to understand from many of these folks, is that there's a quietness mm -hmm. with a deep trust that I know how to get myself out of a jam. I know how to adjust to difficult moments, even when the consequences potentially limb or life. And I, I, I loved it. And at the same time, I thought it was one of the hardest uh, interviews or conversations I was had. Was it? Why? Because yeah. his nickname is no big deal. Yeah. So Alex, what's it like to have, you know- Sort of deflecting and- Yeah, your, your thumb and middle finger in, in, a, in a hole and you're dangling from 2000 feet and you've lost your footing on your, He's you like, know- It was cool. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Where do you go with that? <laughs> you know? It's funny because it's arguably the most extreme amongst the extreme sports, but it isn't, an, it's like you said, it's not an adrenaline boosting thing. It's all, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's, he has to, you know, he has to get himself into this incredible, almost like a trance-like state of extreme focus and calmness. And in terms of like intuition, my sense is that he's just a highly integrated human being. Like he knows how he ticks, he knows why he ticks. And I don't know what process he undertook to understand himself on such a deep level, but I think that is, foundational and and one of the keys to his success. And I think, you know, in terms of speaking about that more broadly, and I'm interested in what you think about this. Look, you're in the business of of talking about peak performance. Everybody wants to be a peak performer, regardless of whether you're sitting in a cubicle or you're an athlete or whatever, a musician. I, I, don't, I don't know if everyone does. Like I But they're but they're interested in peak performance, right? How can I? How can I optimize? How can I be better? And at the same time, I think there's like this cynical tone as well that takes place. Like, oh, okay, peak performance. Like, right. I, I I get both of those, mm -hmm. and I think I, I want to hear what you why you think everyone wants it because my experience is that most people nod their head that they want to be better, but don't want to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so well, that, that's why you know that's why all these life hacks are so popular. Yeah, but but the idea behind the life hack is, you know, on some on some level about optimization, I mm -hmm. suppose. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. looking to, you know, level, level up, but yeah. they want to mm -hmm. do it the easy way. And so to bring it back around, like the point that I was making is, is you know, when you look at someone like Alex, he's he's able to optimize on such a high level because of that 
profound level of self-understanding that he has, right? And that's the part people don't want to do. They want to skip that part. The self-discovery. Yeah, because that, that's- There is no, there's, don't get me wound up, right? You know, yeah, I think no, about like, hacking, but- No, there, please, there, like I want to unleash you on this point because I think yeah. it's super important. I think people look at this and they, they either don't understand what that means or they find it inconvenient or, or unnecessary. Like they just want to get to the sexy part, but that's where the work is. And when you see somebody who is so- self-actualized as Alex, the proof is in the pudding because his ability to execute on what he cares about is a direct function of that integration process. Yes, I mean, I'm shaking my head like, yes. And I love the, I, I, I love this phrase that someone gave us this, my wife and I this thought early on, which was parenting is inconvenient. And- Super inconvenient. Super inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't mean that 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 was that's not a bad thought. That is like to do parenting well, you're gonna have to maybe leave places that you wanna be because you say to your son or daughter, whomever, like, hey, the behavior that you're that you're that you're acting on, it's not okay. And if it continues, we're gonna have to leave Disneyland, even though you wanna be there, or you or this party that you're at, or this whatever. And if you the inconvenient being inconvenienced not by the the human that you're raising, but by the acts that sometimes are untimely, and that's the hard work. That's what actually creates the beautiful bonds between children and adults is the ability for them to trust. Like, okay, they have my best interests, even though it's not easy mm -hmm. now to live through. And you said it was inconvenient for people, or it is inconvenient to do the long, difficult journey of self discovery. Yeah, oh yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Right, it's hard to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that alone work. Nobody can give you wisdom. Yeah, and I don't know that I ever would have done it had my back not been up against the wall. You know, pain has always been my motivator to really look inward and make changes. So I've been asking this question to people lately, and I don't know if it's a fair question, and I'd like I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Love to win or hate to lose, and if there was space to choose a third option, would you choose a third option? And, or would you just say, oh yeah, it's this one out of those two? I would choose a third option. Uh, for me, it's never about winning or not losing. It's just a function of whether I lived up to what I believe to be my potential. Like, did I do my best? Did I put everything into uh, trying to achieve a certain result? And then, so that's that's why I, thought, I think it's not a fair question. Mm -hmm. and. That being said, is the process to better understand what is possible for anybody, for oneself or for somebody else is difficult. Like that, that takes discernment. That takes deep thinking to think about like, and this is, I think this might be one of the most loving thing we can do for another human is to think deeply about what is possible, have a conversation with that person, calibrate that conversation, nod our heads to it, once we get the fabric and the texture of that, that thought aligned and then commit to, to helping, supporting and challenging that person through. And if we're left alone to do it, it's, it's really hard. That's why I, don't, I haven't seen anyone that does it alone, right? But back to the thought, hate to lose, uh, hate to lose love to win. Almost 95% of people that I ask that question to, they, whether they think that they are on the right path or not, no, no, no let me not say it that way, that sounds, almost crude, 95% are saying hate to lose. 
and then given a little bit more space. Is that true? Really? That yeah, mm. yes. But because but that that what spurred me on that is your thought, which is, um, I had to come from pain. So the the pain of losing, which if we map it on the brain, there's no loss center of the brain. There's grief. There's like you know there's there's no the redundancies in the brain are minimized because it's this amazing superpower computer that we don't even know really how it works. But the thought that there's a center for losing a Super Bowl or uh-huh. losing a, a, a an ultra event, there's no center in the brain for that. It is mapped over grief. Right. So most people, grief is so hard for people. And then when they, so that when they go put their butt on the line and go for it in a competitive environment or a vulnerable environment, and they come up short, it feels like grief and that's hard. And so hating to feel grief is the response. That's how I decode that thought. Like an avoidant strategy. Yeah, like I hate it so much, I'll do whatever it takes to relieve myself from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that that's a beautiful way to do you know, the process. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. So when you sit down with you know, uh, somebody that you're working with, like how do you begin to, to figure this out and find a different through line to connect with that person? to perhaps provide a foundation for a healthier motivation? Well, we tried to get clear. The first part is that, not first part, but just value the discovery process. You know, let's, let's just nod our head that the initial part, are, you're asking me like when I'm doing my craft, is that right? right. Like as a sports psychologist or performance yeah, psychologist. Yeah. So the initial, so the way I've structured it is that we spend eight hours together. That's a long day. Mm-hmm. By the end of the day, we're exhausted. We're, we're, we both are tired because we're working relentlessly towards insight. And then at the end of those eight hours, if we are so fortunate to have some insight about what makes this, the person that I'm working with, who are they and what makes them work, if you will, what are they driven by and driven toward? And then if we can get a handful of insights together, then we can set up and design a way to train one's mind and organize one's life for optimizing. Right. Okay. So that deep, deep work is really like, who are you? Mm-hmm. What are you driven by? What are you driven toward? And then what do you imagine is possible? And so that's- But in that's order to really get to the heart of that, it's not just a function of like, oh, what drives you? Oh, I wanna win the Super Bowl or I wanna win an Olympic gold medal. Yeah, okay. but. Is that really what's driving them? Like you have to get beneath that, right? Wait, oh, it's like yeah. 18 <laughs> yeah, questions right. beneath that, like, yeah. So do you have like this, this like, what's the strategy? Like, how do you begin to pull those layers back and get to the heart of who, who somebody really is? You know, it's a fun part that I don't ever talk about is that, okay, I wanna kind of link two things together. One is I was on a recent podcast, I'll keep it nameless. And I, I, I got really fiery during the conversation. And I said to the interviewer, I said, you know what it feels like to be on this side of the conversation? It feels like you've grabbed me by my ankles. You've tried to wrestle me to get me upside down and shake out whatever you think is in my head. You know, like trying to get the lint and the coins to come from my pockets and whatever thoughts, you know, that could bang out of my trying head. Trying to hack you. Yeah, yeah. and I said, uh-huh. that's not how this works. It doesn't work like, what are the four questions? And I know that you're not asking that. Mm-hmm. You're asking a really thoughtful, like what is the process underneath? And so I, I wanna share something that I think, I think you might enjoy, right? So let's say I ask an innocuous question, like, 
kind of a not not something amazing, but it's a curious question. So it's authentic. Okay. So what what's happening for me is I'm standing on the shoulders of the of titans of research in the field of psychology. And I'll, I'll remind you that from our last conversation, just as a as a stopgap here, is that I can't get enough of it. Like I can't read enough of it. Mm-hmm. I like I love how complicated the mind is. And so all of the research and reading that I that goes into it's like what are the theories? Where are they strong? Where do they what are they missing in their in their approach? What are the applied practices that have been studied around it? So I'm trying, I've got all of that that I'm trying to forget, but I need to stand on those shoulders. Okay. Then I'll ask a question based on a particular paradigm or, or theory. And then what I'm doing is I'm just watching and feeling. So I feel myself. I got to get myself out of the way because if I'm anxious, they can pick it up. You know, we can smell stress. Mm-hmm. We can see it in micro expressions. And so if if I'm stressed out right now, your natural response in your brain is to go, well, if he's stressed, maybe I should be stressed. Yeah. If his brain is picking up something dangerous, maybe there's something at stake here. And I so then that becomes problematic. So I've first got to get myself out of the way by being where my feet are, right? Being curious as opposed to judgmental. Ask the question. And then without trying to bait a response or trying to guess where it's going, be in it. And then use both silence and observation to be able to toggle. This is the part I want to share. Toggle up or down the amygdala activation. So the amygdala is part of the brain that is like the emotional kind of fight, flight, freeze, submission, or flow state uh, responses. And that that last one is asterisk. You know, mm-hmm. there's not enough research around it right now. Okay, so so just providing enough stress where their brain lights up, but trying to figure out if we've crossed that threshold where the brain begins to shut down, thinking clearly and emotional, thinking clearly becomes compromised because the emotional center of the mm-hmm. brain is too mm-hmm. active. So, so that is like the art. You're like turning these dials, yeah. Sort of, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds dangerous, <laughs> yeah, but no. It, no, it's it's more uh-huh. like I'm not turning them. I'm trying to be the filter, like the 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 receiver of them. And then if I ask just this question and say it in this kind of way, what happens? And as soon as somebody begins to maybe get angry or break out in a sweat or uh, find a sense of relaxation or peace. It's like, oh, look, what just happened? And so then we use the experience in the room Mm -hmm. to work to calibrate. Mm -hmm. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye. And I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made. And that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. 
pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. When you're doing that like probing process, I mean, part of that I would imagine has to do with finding a way in, like how can I, like what are the, what's the, what are the levers here that I can play with to motivate this person to, you know, unleash, you know, perhaps potential that's hidden within them. And I would imagine you're gonna come across some levers that would work, but are unhealthy. Like, oh, this guy, you know, I don't know, you know, he hates his dad, so I, I can I play this. with that, yeah. and I could get him to, you know, really, you know, um, I could perhaps get him to a, a new level in his whatever his expertise is, but that's ultimately not a sustainable methodology, right? I, I love it. You know, okay. So one of the thoughts is there's an assumption that I'm making is that you hold all of your insights. You, you are the container of wisdom as well. So you, there's nothing I'm gonna say 
that is going to um, provide wisdom. Like it's already inside you. We just need to figure it out. Everything you need is already inside you is the basic assumption. And you said like to help motivate people. I don't think so. I don't think that that's, I'm not in the right business to help motivate people because the folks that I spend time with are highly driven, like the half percenters in the world driven. And so I feel like, not feel, I think that part of the process is to create more space for the fire to burn more brightly, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then how do you do that? Well, each thought, this is a hypothesis, right? Thoughts lead to thought patterns. Thought patterns lead to thought habits. Once they become habits or habitual, they move just below for an, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They move below, they move below the surface for, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, efficiency, right, <laughs> sorry, okay. yeah. So they, they, there's just like physiological patterns, right? So from thoughts to thought patterns to habits, and then once they're a habit, they're below surface. So part of it is reminding them of the habits that they've already built. They've already had great success, mm-hmm. every human has. They've already figured out how to get out of jams. You know, people have done. So let's use what's already below the surface and above the surface to figure it out. Now, if we reverse engineer that, each thought either creates space or tension. I'm gonna oversimplify it, right? But if that, just with that thought alone, if you can become more aware of your thoughts, and then is this is this particular thought that you're having right now, Rich, because you're having thoughts, I'm having thoughts, and we're having a conversation. And the better this conversation goes is a direct relationship to the amount of thoughts that are not present, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Right, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so every thought that we have is either creating constriction or expansion. And I, I learned that from Judson Brewer, who's a beautiful mind in, um, in the contemplative mindfulness research space. And it's like, yes, that's it, that's exactly it. And so that, that simple little insight, I think really is how the process works. So walk me through like an example of that. Wait, okay. You know what I mean? Like, sure. like, I don't know, like in your experience of working with the people, you obviously not naming names, but is there like, I'm trying to under- Can I'm I like, ask you a question? Because it sounds very ephemeral. <laughs> yeah, you're you gonna somebody? turn this on me, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go to work. <laughs> All right, so um, let's talk about, I don't know, something that you're working on building something mm-hmm. that you're trying to figure out, what, what would that be? I'm trying to, uh, let's see, that's a good question. Well, I'm trying to figure out how to um, create better systems around the work that I do so that I can be, so that I can do it in a more sustainable way without being drained. Okay. So that I can approach my work with enthusiasm and awe and wonder and excitement. Okay, so where's the draining come from? Uh, it comes from, I think it comes from a couple of things. It comes from uh, control issues. It comes from uh, holding myself to an unreasonable perfectionist standard. And when when you are like thinking about needing to be perfect and having a high standard that way, what are those thoughts? I think that's driven by- No, no, what are the actual thoughts? Oh, the actual thoughts of, the actual thoughts are, this isn't good enough. I can make it better. Bang. I can make it better. That's I can it. make it better. That's it, Rich. That's the thought. That's the thought that creates. So perfectionism is a constricting based thought, right? It creates mm-hmm. tightness, both mentally and physically. You probably feel it. If we stayed there long enough, you would be like, yeah, I'm all wound up because 
my God, if I put this product into the world and it's not good enough, I'm going to be judged as hard as I'm afraid that, no, I'm going to feel that other people are judging me as hard as I'm judging myself. And it feels awful when I judge myself at that standard. Which is what I do all the time. That's right. So that creates constriction. And what that does is like, it just puts a little sand in the, in the groove, right? It just doesn't allow the grease to work quite as well. So that, that's simple. That's really simple. So then, when, so then what's the applied tactic is become more aware of that thought because that becomes a thought pattern. Become, as soon as you grab that thought. I have good self-awareness around it. Mm-hmm. I'm just paralyzed from actually implementing changes. Well, we talked about this three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is what I'm telling you. Implementation is my problem. Well, for all of us though. So you know what's really cool about this nature of the conversation? Me too. Okay. So I I have to, I I grew up super self-critical. I came from a family, from an ecosystem, from a community that supported that somehow. No one wants their children to be self-critical. You know, well- Strike the word no one. There are some families that think that that is the right way. And let me kind of pull out this conversation for a minute. I have a nine-year-old and I see the competitive sport landscape. My son is more on the artistic side right now Mm -hmm. than the sports side or the the athletic side. And I see where some parents, and I'm not saying that they're my son's friends, but I just see the the ecosystem of young parents and, and young children. And the ones that are screaming on the sidelines are not the ones that did it in the pros. Of course not. No. So the ones that have done it in the pros, they're in the corner with their hat down going, God, I hope he's having fun. Yeah, of course. I mean, because they, they're fulfilled. They're not, they're not living out their childhood fantasy through some projection on their child. And they know that to really go the game of mastery with a stop short of that, which would be high performance, to really go to that place it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't love it, you're not gonna go a long time. And if you if you're let's say, let's say high performance is stop 1,000. I'm making up how many tra- thought uh, stops are on this train, thousand. Mastery is like two thousand, right? So the, the stop of a thousand, most people want to get off around 250 now. Because it's so freaking hard to be deeply focused. Because when you're deeply focused, you know what you have to do? You have to gate out the, the thoughts that create constriction. To be deeply focused in this mm-hmm. moment where, where all things amazing happen, high performance, love, intimacy, vulnerability, all the amazing things happen in the present moment as you well understand that of <laughs> being your friend and listening to your, your thinking patterns. So we have to gate out all the ones that create constriction that become noisy. So you think about the signal to noise ratio, the signal is where amazing things take place and it's always found in the present moment. And the noise are the self-critical thoughts. Right. You need to be perfect, this, that, and the other. And the noise of what others might think of us. Those are both noisy. So what is the process of muting the self-critical voice? Yeah, not, okay, so it's not a mute, right? It's a relationship with it. It's a relationship with like, and there's lots of ways to do mm-hmm. this, like, but it's the relationship with, why am I doing that? Okay, huh, that's interesting. Oh, look, there it is again. So it's increasing the awareness, being curious about why you would choose that thought. And then as soon as, and then making a decision, as soon as I do have that thought, what am I gonna do about it? Right. Well, I think it's even deeper than that because at least in just speaking for myself, and I've seen this with other people, these behavior patterns that are perhaps, you know, leading us astray can be part and parcel of our identity and also what we imagine or project our um, 
crucial aspects of our success equation. So I can easily make the argument, for example, that my, you know, my perfectionist standard, my control issues, that's how I was able to even get here to this place where I get to sit here and talk to you. And if I let go of that, that's very threatening. That's terrifying, right? Because that means that I have to come to this decision that that is, that that is in fact not what's fueling my success. And just coming to that understanding is difficult. Um, and it would then put me in a place of confusion and mystery. I love, yeah, uh, okay. So what you're hitting on is big time, right? It's almost like what would be a, an easy example is that, you know what, okay, I have a headache. And so the doc or someone that I trust told me to take aspirin. Do you take aspirin for headaches? Is that yeah, if for, I get a headache, what, I don't get headaches that much. But, no, I was asking that like more Advil rhetorically. Or whatever, or Advil, whatever yeah. it is, right? You take, you take something for a headache mm -hmm. and it works. You're like, oh, okay, good, okay. And then at some point you say, man, I got a stomach ache. You go into the doc for the stomach ache and they go, you know what, let's do a little test. Oh, you've got some ulcers. How, how often do you take you know, the, the headache medicine? Well, I take it three times a day. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta stop mm -hmm. doing that, it's too much, but it works. I don't have headaches, but now you have an ulcer. So it's a little bit like this system that got you here. And I see, I see this all the time. The system that got me to a certain phase of my life, even this phase of my life has worked, but there's limitations. And I see it with like world-class athletes that say, you know, what got me here? I've got two gold medals. I've got, you know, this, that, and the other accolades, but there's another space that I need to figure right. out because this is no longer working anymore. And so it's like, now the question is, do you stop taking the medicine, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Because the pattern, the initial pattern was that you had headaches. So now you got to figure out how to not have ulcers and not have headaches. Yeah, I think uh, that reminds me of my conversation with Carrie Walsh Jennings, who you know well. Um, that idea that like in the context of athletic performance, like, oh, the way that you become successful is you live this monastic life and all you do is train. And then, you know, as you grow older, life gets more complicated. And if you wanna continue in your career, you have to provide the space to let other things into your experience. And that can be frightening, right? It's like, no, the only way that I can win gold medals is if I live alone in a hut in the woods, right? And then to come into an understanding that actually you might even be better if you let go of that idea, that idea may have gotten you to this place, but it's not gonna take you through three more Olympiads. So there's two components that we're talking about. The, the journey of self-discovery, and I'd love to unpack that a bit. And then what we're talking about right now is a psychological framework. So both are foundational to be able to have a strong base to explore. Psychological framework really is, how do I understand the world? How do I understand myself? How do I make um, rational and uh, clear sense of events that take place in my life. Mm -hmm. And there's three basic buckets for a, a psychological framework that I'm really fascinated by. They have been thematic. One is optimism versus pessimism. And what I've found, like research would support this as well. There's lots of good research around optimism and pessimism. Not a whole lot about pessimism, but in reference to optimism. And then my personal life experiences, I, I don't know any, and that sounds like a really big phrase, but I don't know any world-class performers 
that don't believe the future is going to work out well. <laughs> yeah, but our but my first question is 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 that immutable? Like there are pessimistic people and there are optimistic people. Can you take somebody who has a victim mentality or a pessimistic outlook on life and turn them into an optimistic I person? cannot do it. They need they need to want to do it. So they need to understand like the process for all of us to change is to mm -hmm. feel the pain of the current situation. And this is why drugs are so gnarly is because they take away the pain, right? And and buying something can take away some pain. You know, it can give you some instant and that, pleasure. That, and that may deprive you from that that pivotal moment in which you are forced to look at yourself and perhaps make that change that could make all the difference. There it is. So I can't help somebody change, right? They have to want to do it. My job in many cases to help them feel pain. But even let's 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 assume they have that willingness. The the, the clear answer is yes. We are mm -hmm. not born as we the the leading hypothesis about um, optimism, pessimism is we're not born. We don't come into the world that way. There might be a genetic predisposition towards anxiety and, and whatever that would gate somebody a little bit closer to pessimism, but it's a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. And so anything that's learned can be adjusted and adopted. So the first is to know that there's options. And part of that process is to recognize how many of the extraordinary doers in the world think, and they're more optimistic than pessimistic, just by, by my experience, if we're just taking right. an N of one right now. And then the the challenge in this conversation is as soon as people talk about optimism, it sounds like all of a sudden we're gonna get soft. All of a sudden we're gonna get, you know, let's hold hands and let's pick some flowers together and everything's gonna work out just right. That's not what optimism is. Optimism, I, 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 we think that optimism is at the center of mental toughness, to have the mental discipline, to be able to stay the course when the shit is not going right. Mm -hmm. That's that's the thing right there. Well, it's fortitude. It takes a tremendous amount of, of faith and composure to say, I'm gonna devote like this huge part of my life to this goal, whether it's professional or athletic or whatever it is, baked into that has to be some sense that this is gonna lead you in a positive direction, right? That it, that things are gonna work out, maybe not exactly as you imagine, but that you'll, it'll deliver you to a place that's better than wherever you are at that moment. That's exactly right. That, right. Okay, so then at some point, how do you chip in, right? How do you really trust yourself? How do you trust that whatever it is that you're going, whatever bet you're gonna play, that it's gonna work out? And if it doesn't work out, you have the ability to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got optimism, we've got locus of control, and then we've also got grit. And those are three pillars in the in the psychological framework that I think are really important to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So grit, as you know, from Angela Duckworth, passion, perseverance for long-term goals, control, the locus of control. Like, are you controlling what's 100% in your control? Are you working towards that or caught up in the noise of the other things that are really important, but you can't control? And getting those three cobbled together on a consistent basis, that is, that's a nice, significant um, piece of work to have some durability on the long play right. in, in life. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. 
an RRP favorite, and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. One of the things that you talk about a lot that is just one of my favorite subjects is this idea that we become the stories that we tell about ourselves. Yeah those become predictors of future behavior and outcomes. And I would imagine in the same way that, you know, on the scale of optimism and pessimism, that that these stories are mutable. I know they're mutable, um, but they're very powerful, right? So in your kind of inquiry earlier, I was thinking about some of the stories that I've historically told myself. And a lot of them are around this idea that, uh, you know, I don't think I'm that talented but I have this huge like work work ethic capacity. I know how to suffer. I know I actually like suffer. I like, you know, I have like, it's all imagined, you know, and it plays out as truth, but I've been able to make my way in the world and overcome whatever talent deficit gap that I have because I'm willing to and capable of outworking the next guy. And so I've relied on that story to achieve certain successes. And then I credit that story as fundamental to that success. But ultimately, I see myself moving towards burnout and these, you know, having to confront these control issues in a way that I'm now realizing it's it's not only is it not sustainable, like it's not making me happy. Right. And I and I have this sense that I could be more productive and I could be happier and more fruitful if I let go of this narrative and find a new one. Cool. I mean, that's the, that's like if we're swinging from vines together and you've got, you've got a bead on how this vine is getting, creating great momentum for you. And then you grab the next one. It's not quite as sturdy, but you know you need to let go of the one that's really strong and it's got some good mm-hmm. umph behind it, you know, and it's got a good anchor and lever on it to go to the new one that's a little less sturdy, but you think it's going to take you in the right direction. Like, do you... 
what if you fall? You know, can, can you figure it out? That, and I'm not looking at you that way. I'm saying for all of us. Uh-huh. So there is, you know, rational emotive therapy is like, take a look at the worst case scenario. Feel that. Really examine the worst case scenario. And oftentimes what happens if you go in that kind of dark place, if you will, and even write it down so or talk about it with someone that you really trust is that you end up coming through going, well, the chances of that happening are pretty low because I'm pretty resourceful. But if it did, I'd rather go for it than not go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, So there's something in there that ends up happening for people. But the thought that, yes, can they change? A thousand percent. And you go back to the constriction thoughts or the expansion thoughts. You know when you belly laugh? It's really good. And like, it just feels really good. That's space, that's expansion in there. And so those thoughts that lead to the freedom to have that type of experience on a regular basis, wouldn't you trade a lot of that for like, I don't know, whatever quote unquote successes, you know, outwardly success, yeah. isn't, isn't that like really valuable? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and if we follow like Harvard did that 75 year study on fulfillment and that's a long study now, 75 years, right? To study fulfillment. And what they found two of the largest pillars for fulfillment in life is grokking and wrestling with the difficult questions in life. So not shying away from, this is a difficult question we're talking mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. And I think we have, and the other one is um, deep relationships. It's like Susan, da- you know, Susan David, she's a, she's a Harvard psychologist um, who wrote this book, Emotional Agility. I do, I know the, the book. But yeah, 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 but it's that idea, like her saying is, um, what is it exactly? I'm gonna butcher it. Um, but like essentially, Grappling with difficult emotions is the price you pay for a meaningful life. That's right. So this success equate like the idea yes. of being fulfilled and 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 mm. contented in your life requires you to face these things that you know kind of our culture pushes up against and says don't worry about that or take this pill or you know just pretend it didn't happen. And I think what what's happening right now if we kind of map less than a hundred years, like from the industrial revolution to now, is that our ancestry at some point figured out that no machine's gonna take their job. So they came home to the dinner table and they said, you know what? Uh-uh, no machine's taking our job, we're gonna work. We're gonna figure, not in this house. Mm-hmm. And so we've been, we've been handed down that work ethic ethos. You and I certainly have, but many people have been handed that down. And then what I think what it's turned into over time as a generation of the, uh, has muted the story or not muted, but um, shifted the story just a little bit is that I need to do extraordinary things to be extraordinary. So the thought that I need to do more to be more, I think is wearing us out. Yeah, well, I've definitely bought into that. Yeah, and so you're not alone, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but so there's a deep fatigue that will come from Mm -hmm. that model. And it's time for sure right now, I think the timing of it, of this is eloquent that let's flip the model that we need to be more and let the doing flow from that place. So the be more, be more what? Be more present, be more authentic, be here more often, be more gracious, right? Be more and then whatever the doing that we want to experience in life, imagine the output difference. One is you get those Mm -hmm. moments in joy, you increase maybe the frequency of them. And then what would happen to the doing if they came from a more pure, a more pure place? Right, that's uncharted territory for me because mm. I've always been the guy who, who you know, is op, you know, my operating system is if I didn't, if I didn't like really suffer to create whatever I'm creating, then I didn't work hard enough at it. 
you know, there's more, I can, I can, I can extract more blood from that stone, you know, just a couple more all nighters, you know, like, and I can make it, you know, 0.0001% better. You know, and it's not working. Well, like it, it, it got you here. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it got you wherever. It, well, it you know. works. It's mm-hmm. just not. It's not a. It's not a sustainable fuel source, right? And there, you know, we're not. We're not fragile. Humans are not fragile. We can do extraordinary things to this frame of ours, and but we do need to refuel. Yeah. And so, you know, how long can you go without sleep? Eh, you know, you can do it for a little bit, but not too long. How long can you go without water? Not that long. You know, food, you can go a while. So we can do extraordinary things to our body that are debilitating our, our resources, but that's not the, that's not the, that's not the big goal, mm-hmm. right? So then what, what are the big movers for you? Like, what is it that you want to do in life that's driving you into, you know, I don't know, fatigue? <laughs> I mean, I think that, that fundamentally it's, it's trying to find ways to, um, provide the most help that I can to the most people in the most substantive way, the most meaningful way. Um, that's what gets me excited. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Like I love the training and all the, the race, whatever I did all those, but the doing all of that, you know, in some bizarre, you know, alchemy of the galaxy has put me in this place now where now I can be a resource for other people and trying to, to be the best at that that I can possibly be is what I'm focused on. I, I love the thought, you know, walk the talk, you know, like talk about it, but walk about it. And you're talking about how you want to walk about it. You know, you want to live that way, whatever that way is for you. That's like sturdy and nimble all mm-hmm. in the same, you know, way. And I feel that at the same time, like so much of your work is about presence, you know, how can you be more in the moment? How can you create that space? Mm-hmm. And and that, you know, these conversations are coming up more and more in my life and they're transpiring in a cultural moment in which we've never been more distracted and the demands on our attention have never been greater. Like, you know, with these things in our pocket, it's like, there's no space. There's no, anytime you're waiting in a line, you can easily, you know, find something to do with your phone. and. And so you have to exercise a lot more diligence around um, creating that space. We're, we're outmatched, yeah. you know, like technology companies that are really on it have tens to hundreds of PhDs that really understand the neurology of behavior, the thinking patterns of behavior, we're outmatched. Yeah, do you know this guy, Tristan Harris? Sure. Yeah, yeah. he's doing a lot of work around that. That's right, we are completely outmatched. And you know, he's on it, he's early yeah. in the days of it and he's gonna take on some tech giants around it. And, but I will say that let's say I'm bullish on technology. I think that like, yes, we need to move in that direction, but knowing that there's a counterbalance. So I feel the same things that you do like the draw to the dopamine hit by checking my phone, by trying to catch up with the onslaught of emails that come through and yes, yes, yes. At the same time, what I it feels irresponsible to not carve out enough time to train deep focus because that's like a multitask, thin slicing, you know, rip and run type of experience. So then the counterbalance needs to be space mm-hmm. to be able to condition my mind um, to be more present to be more aware of, of what's actually happening in the internal ecosystem. And you know, I'll, you know, I'll tell you what, for me at least, there's a razor's edge to it. Mm-hmm. It's freaking 
hard Mm -hmm. to be truthful and honest and the vulnerability, even when nobody else is around, (laughs) to be vulnerable with oneself is hard. And so externally, I've been fascinated by the razor's edge. That was my early fascination about sport. So working in hostile and rugged and extreme environments, if you will. And what I've also come to value is that some of the most intense environments are the ones that we have within just ourselves. You're sitting at home alone. There's nobody nobody at home. You could do whatever you want. What are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> and that's and, the ultimate battleground, it, right? Oh my god. But but like when you create enough space to listen to that inner experience, that inner dialogue, that inner narrative, whatever you want to call it, which is, you know, it's it's a human experience. You learn some stuff about yourself you don't mm-hmm. want to be reminded of. Mm-hmm. You don't want to remember that you're a coward, that you're dishonest, that you're afraid that you're going to be exposed. And I'm checking the list for things that I don't want to say about me. And I'd like to play the game that those are not me. Those are for other people. That's me too now. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because you know what we want? We want to be noble. We want to be courageous. We want to be caring. We want to be great as a human, as a doer and a beer. And you you can't get there without some real discerning honesty. What is your, what do you consider to be your biggest challenge at the moment? I mean, since the last time we talked, your profile is growing, your podcast is growing, you're on stage interviewing people and you're, you know, counseling Fortune 500 companies and professional sports teams and Olympians. Like, what is it that you struggle with that you're trying to work through? Being present. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, it's like signal to noise ratio. And so, like in the weeds, it's like, what are the most tactical decisions that set a course? And so as a business person, making those decisions with my team is is challenging, you know? And so that that's part of it. The, I, no one has to pay me to do performance. Like I love it. Like the performance psychology and like being a craftsman, I love it. That, but the, there is a cost to it. <laughs> Let's be clear. The reason there's a cost to it because it pulls me away from other loves. You know, it pulls me away from time with my family. And so there is a business model that's at play, but I love it. I made a commitment to never charge a kid again. You know, never charge a family structure again. Mm. And and so I'm not doing that. I'm kind of laughing because I don't have time at this point, yeah. you know, right? Yeah. But so I, I have two clients a month is how I set up the crafts part of my job that I, t- I talked about earlier. But the harder things that I'm trying to sort out is like the business decisions that are happening real time and very quickly that keeping up with the momentum feels like we're running downhill, which is a great place to be. But at any given point in time, it feels like I could easily slip, skid my you know elbows, leave some blood on the turf. And yeah. you know, so uh, I, I, would, I don't want to be anywhere else, but those are the, those are the challenges. And then you know, even internally in our business, like Coach Carol and I from the Seattle Seahawks, we've uh, built this business together, is like getting the culture of our business right is challenging as well. You know, we're highly um, thoughtful and, and ambitious people that have independent thinkers. Like, how do you get all of our noses to line up in the same way? Mm-hmm. That's not easy too. Mm-hmm. And so what is it that that you're trying to achieve? Like, what is the legacy that you aspire to? Yeah, I was gonna ask you the same question. And- I asked you first. I know, and I'll answer it. And I'll, <laughs> say it I'll say it tongue in cheek, like one in seven. And so <clears throat> one in seven people would be this amazing idea to, to help, let me start where, let me start 
where the, this thought originated. So we're working with a world-class organization and the CEO, Satya Nadella says, this is like, I'd love this for a hundred thousand people, you know, and that's like, whoa, you know? And so we started really small, we incubated small. Mm -hmm. And um, so the thought going into that was like, okay, well, how do we get to one in seven in the organization? And if we can get to seven, or I've been talking, I've been like thinking one in five, the first thought was one in five because everybody has five friends, you know, like that thought. Right. And so, but I think the number is probably one in seven if we really wanna have larger impact outside of one business. So let's just use the one in five for example right now. One in five people in Microsoft. Then what about one in five people in another company? What about one in five people on the West Coast of America? What about one in five people in America? And what if, what if we could do one in five people over two continents? Like, that, would that be crazy? That would be crazy. And what is it that you're trying to do with that one out of five. There's only three things that, seven. yeah, there's only three things that we can train as humans. We can train our craft, our body and our mind. And what if one out of five people, we can help increase the frequency of them living in the present moment by showing them not just the value of it, but how to train and condition your mind to manage the noise, to get to the signal more often because the signal the present moment is where it's found, is where the most extraordinary experiences in life happen. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes for, for me, this really beautiful thought about a pebble in a pond. And if we can get that pebble to resonate in the right way, the ripple effect, the relationships that people have with other people, I, it feels like it's extraordinary, wonderful. And you know, there's a business on the back of that for sure. Yeah. I'm not lost on that. But that, that's what we wanna do. One in five people, show them and hold them accountable and love them and support them and challenge them to condition and train their mind to be more present. The be more to do more. I like how clear you are on that. Oh yeah, as well. It's, You've definitely thought that through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's where the Finding Mastery podcast has been like this fun accelerant to it. Uh -huh. Now in the podcast, there are high level conversations, you know, that we don't get, we don't get too deep into the weeds of how, but there are certainly things we can talk about today, but like there's certainly some very practical things that we can all do to set us down that path a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things you talk about a lot is, is the importance of having a philosophy, right? Like what is your life philosophy? And if you can't articulate that, then there's some work to be done there, right? So when I ask you about legacy and you answered the way that you did so eloquently, is your is is that different from, like if I asked you what's your philosophy, is it similar or? No, that's a cool question. No, um, so what I described is not necessarily legacy at all. What I described is a mission. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a little bit of an aversion to the thought of legacy because it feels like to me, when I think of the word legacy, I think about what other people will think about me when I'm gone. I don't care. Like I, I, I'm not motivated or driven by that in, in any shape or form but I do have this insatiable mission that feels right for me and my family to go on this mission together. And I'm not alone on this. My wife is mm -hmm. like, Phew. you know, like, I mean, since I, we were 16, you know, right. like- You we, guys have been together forever, right? Yeah, like yeah. this, that's just, so, and she's got her path and I've got my path, but it's a commitment that we make together. There's been lots of sacrifices, you know, that we've made together. Like for 18 years, every Saturday night, I was in a sweaty gym with about a hundred athletes trying to sort out my craft. 
So that's 18 years every Saturday night we didn't have date night. Mm-hmm. Like what a what an angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like seriously, like wow, <laughs> thank you, Lisa. You know, so so there, there's that part. But the, so for me, for me, it feels like a mission, not about a legacy, but a philosophy are the guiding principles that help me line up my thoughts, my words, and my actions to have true alignment with the mission. Right. So a philosophy is different. Those are the principles. The mission is like. What am I hungry for? And so that those are the two, and, and, and the mission that I just described, you can have a couple missions. They need to hang together. You know, thinking about being a world-class swimmer and, and then a world-class pianist is probably not gonna quite work out in the right way. Right. But so I've got a couple sub-missions or the way I think about it is like, that's my main business mission. I've also got a mission as a, as a um, relationship-based man, a spiritual man as well. So. But I feel like I'm getting in the weeds a little bit to answer your question. Right, but do you, so in thinking about that, like I'm just thinking about how like that clarity of thought um, about the mission works with this idea of of being rooted in the present. Like, are you somebody who's like, okay, here's my five-year plan and here's how it's gonna map out? Or are you somebody who is like, look, I trust when I, ha- here's my philosophy, here's my mission and I'm showing up for it, and then I adapt in the circumstances that present themselves. And I don't stay wed to, like it has to look a certain way a year from now or five years from now. Oh yeah, that's a cool thought, isn't it? Like, especially how quickly technology is changing. But I do know, I, I don't know how to answer that. And I, you know my history well enough that I got out of high school with not a clue what to do. I got out of my first year of uh, my first college uh, with bachelor's degree with not a clue what to do. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of my master's program because it wasn't right. I thought it was gonna be, I got out of my, and then I went back to a different school, a different course of study. I got out of that, my master's program without really a clue to do. My last semester of my master's program and the dean of the school says, Mike, everyone else has signed up for PhD programs. What are you doing? <laughs> and I said- I'm going surfing. Yeah, really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I said, no, 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 I'm not cut out to be a PhD. Mm-hmm. She said, you've got, you're summa cum laude. What are you talking about? Go anywhere you want. And so I don't, I don't have this great ability to say the vision that I'm setting by hell or high water, that's what's gonna happen. But I do have a sense that of what the world, my world and people that I care about, what their world would look like if one in five people in our ecosystems were more deeply connected to each other in the present moment, like how extraordinary that would be. Mm -hmm. So I have that thought, which is a cool thought for me. That's the vision that I'm holding to. Now the tactics to get there, two years ago, I didn't think we were going to have the challenge that we're having on cascading and and um, what's the word I'm looking forward to? Like the cascade, like to take the ideas and be able to spread them across mm-hmm. uh, many different ecosystems. So we're trying to figure out the right technology to do that as well. So I don't have the tactic, like it's gonna be this, right. but you know, right, right, right. so that's, that's where we are right now. I like it, man. It's ambitious, but but there's so much heart in that, you know? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I wanna figure it out. Yeah. You know, so, okay, so now over to you. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, what, what, well, you started with legacy, you know, and I, I'm, not, I'm not critical at all if you say like, no, I think about legacy. Like, I'd, I'd like to hear how you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I think about legacy. I think about, um, you know, and this is always evolving for me and it's, it's certainly changed even in the years since I first met you. You know, I, like I said earlier, 
you know, what excites me is trying to activate people in a positive way, in a real way, like in a way that, that can really um, catalyze significant sustainable change in them. And initially it began with, with diet and, you know, through telling my story and helping people rethink the, the limits of their own personal potential. But I, I'm starting to think of it more broadly and I'm trying to kind of transcend this like vegan athlete, you know, sort of story. Um, and the podcast experience in that, this adventure that I've been on, you know, the last five years, I've been exposed to so many extraordinary people. and. And it's given me the opportunity to be a cipher for incredible ideas that I think can be transformative to people. And when I kind of take a look at culture and society, like I don't see a very good picture. You know, we're this incredibly prosperous society, but most people are unhappy. We're overly medicated. 70% of us are obese or overweight. We're dropping dead from diabetes and heart disease and cancer and all of these conditions that are part and parcel of this modern world that we live in. And it's more than a malaise, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural disease. And so, you know, my work and my mission and my interest stems from trying to get people to um, wake up from whatever waking dream that they're living in to seize more autonomy over the direction of their life. And it can begin with food, it can begin with mindfulness, it can begin with exercise. There's many points of entry, but to the extent that I can find a way to um, you know, connect with people that listen to the podcast or read my books or hear me talk, um, to activate them, to rethink their uh, preset ideas that are based on social programming to exercise more domain over that, like that's what I'm interested in. And it's not nearly as eloquent or well thought out as yours, but <laughs> that's kind of where my head's at, I no, guess, no, I, in a more I, I, amorphous way. So I had the same thought, like, okay, he's thought about that. Mm -hmm. And you know what You know what? Be, might be fun for us to do is a, a project together? And, and I, I, okay, so I like when people say, yeah, that's a cool idea. And I love when people say that's a bad idea because I, I say yes to a lot, like I like to have ideas. So mm -hmm. if it's a bad idea, please, I would love if you said it's a bad idea, okay? <laughs> okay. I, we don't have the time to waste, you know, on, on just okay ideas, okay. But what, what, if, what if we put a little challenge together and we did a philosophy challenge? And so the word philosophy can sound daunting. It can sound like this ivory tower experience. It's not, it's like, what are the guiding principles? And maybe what if we walked both of our communities through in some way, in a challenge to write down their philosophy and to do it in a way that maybe in all the, so here's the challenge, right? In all the words of, the, of your native tongue, can you choose something that's 25 words or less, hopefully less, because the litmus test for us is can you get your philosophy out in a dark alley under duress, right? That's when you know it's really real. And so like, can you get it out? And then can you act on it? Okay, mm -hmm. so, but what if we could start with the thinking part and have some sort of contest or challenge. I don't know how to do this. You're better at this than I am where people submit or do something. And we create a, a community of people that are switched on about your idea, like to activate the wake them up in some sort of way, but they actually do the work to say, what is my philosophy? And they write it down. 
And then, and then I don't know, I don't know what to do from there, but I do know that it is a significant, I mean, and I've said that word a few times, but it's a really nice thing to, to add to the progressive way of living in, when I say progressive, I mean, creating as much space and expansion internally as you can, so you can play, so you can be free. And I feel like that's a really significant way to do it. So I love that idea. Yeah. I think that's cool. Like, how would we do that? I guess, I mean, you could create some kind of portal where people could share these things. Are you thinking like a public forum where everybody's- Well, okay, so let's say that 20,000 people- closed group or something like that. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, but I'd like to do this together Uh and like, we'll just walk through what a philosophy is. Maybe we'll do it on a separate conversation and we'll just fire that up, send it out. People will like, we can send them some sort of documentation on how to do it or think about it. And- I don't. I don't want to have a competition. Who's the best philosophy? No, because no, it's no. all going to come yeah. down to like a but couple. But just getting people to think about that and practice that, I think, could be really powerful. Yeah, and then and then and then getting their loved one or someone they work with get their philosophy. So one of the things we've done at Microsoft is we've asked people to write their philosophy down, and then ask the people that they work with what their philosophy is, because it's born on this idea that if we're going to go do difficult things together, right? To do the extraordinary is going to be difficult. There's, there's no shortcut to it. Like you're gonna meet some rough waters that we need to lock arms with each other. And when we lock arms, we wanna keep them locked when it gets difficult and not save our own ass and grab, you know, unlock to, you know, like that's not how we're gonna move through life into the, you know, to the, the uncharted territory. So it's an accelerant to relationships mm-hmm. and relationships, um, tightly bonded relationships that are mission-minded and really understand the deeper parts of what and why we are, who we are. We found that to be an excellent performance. And that's that's Coach Carroll's model. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gotta be a window into, you know, how people think and operate too. Mm-hmm. Like when you force somebody to actually write that down, cause we we just, we project our ideas of people onto everybody we meet, right? And we just, we assume they have the same philosophy that we do, you know? And they don't, and they what don't. do you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. and you don't know until you're in a sticky situation and the practice of that philosophy, you know, becomes manifest and you realize, oh, we're, we're, on, we're not on the same page at all. That's right. And so there's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of biases that we have while we're interpreting behaviors and thoughts and nonverbal thoughts or nonverbal actions. Is that right? Nonverbal. Nonverbal. Nonverbal, nonverbal actions. actions. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of assumptions we make. So get, doing the work ahead of time is like the front loading, the relationship to be able to go the distance with each mm-hmm. other. And so if we could find something, I'd love to do that. Yeah, well, we could talk about it after this and then maybe in the introductory part of this or whatever, we can leave a call to action for people. That's cool. Which would be cool. When you when you present people with that question, I would imagine there's a lot of people who've never been asked that question before and don't even know how to begin to answer it. Hmm. Yeah. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I don't know what my philosophy is. Well, there's, there's a couple ways to get started. One is there's no right and wrong. It's an authentic expression of the principles that matter most to you. So it is, it is born from you. That being said, there are easy examples of philosophies at play in action. And so you, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can adopt somebody's philosophy that has been forged. You know, and so let's take a look at the spiritual leaders or political leaders and like, what is their philosophy? Mm-hmm. And the reason you know someone's philosophy is because across environments, friendly environments, the hostile environments, 
they have consistency about their thoughts, their words, and their actions. Because all decisions and actions derive from that core. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's easy, like think about Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. King. You know what he thought about a lot? Equality. You know what his words were about? Like, I have a dream about men and women being equality. And you know what, you know what his actions were about? He went and created rallies and he created, you know, uh, environments where people could activate on equality. That is so, that is so clean and crisp. But most people don't have one core idea that drives them to that extent, right? Like, well, I'm interested in lots of things. I think that that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you that know, that's it's very the rare, accurate. It's the rare individual who makes one idea their mission. So, so, it, that, so he turned his philosophy into a mission. So his philosophy mm-hmm. was about equality. And then he had some other words that he would- I got you. Right? Yeah, and yeah. so let's do, let's do um, Malcolm X. His philosophy was also about equality, but the style in which he went about it was dra- different dramatically tactics. different. Yeah. yeah. So, so one's not right and wrong, but it's, it's gotta be right for you. you know? And so if we look at uh, Gandhi, we look at Mother Teresa, we look at Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. you know, we look at Helen Keller. We can look, you can find extraordinary people in, in the world. Jesus was very clear, love, <laughs> you know, it's pretty simple, right? Buddha was pretty simple, it's, you know, I, and I'm reducing like 2000 year, 2,500 year old religions down to a word, that's not fair. But, but Buddhism like was loving kindness, like all people are suffering, people suffer, so let's act in loving kindness. So the philosophy of loving kindness is the, the core principle. Right. You know, so, and I, I know I'm, I'm- No, I get it, I'm, I know, it, I totally follow. Yeah. yeah. So there's already wonderful models, but I, I think it's time, like put your funk on it. You know, what is yours? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's where you start, listening, reading, exploring, writing. And so, come on, Michael, I don't have time for that. Yeah, so just tell me how to- You just how, wanna hack I, it? I, I just wanna find mastery. Come yeah, on, tell me the five steps to mastery. I'll, how about I give you your philosophy <laughs> to yeah, life? Yeah, is that yeah. what we should do? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you get this. So tell me, Michael, you sit down with all these high performers, like how do they do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're actually talking about it. Yeah, I know, you know. yeah. It, and they work their ass off and they recover, uh-huh. you know, and they're pretty principle-based, most yeah. of them. Um, let's talk about balance. Mm-hmm. Can we do that? The mythical ridge line of balance. Yeah. What's your what's your uh, what's your perspective on the conversation that swirls around the primacy or irrelevance of balance in the context of living authentically and performing at your potential? <laughs> I think balance is so overrated. You know, this concept like like the mythical ridge line that one day I'll have balance. I don't know anyone that has balance. Mm-hmm. I don't have balance. And so I think it's way overrated. And the thought that you're supposed to have balance or that I'm supposed to have balance created incredible stress for me. A lot and, of self-judgment. Yeah. So I say, forget about it. That's what I say. I say, forget about this idea of balance and work on being present. Mm-hmm. And so- Is there a different word, like equanimity? Like, is there a different word that would capture- You are so smart. Perhaps perhaps the I don't really like even know what that know. means. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use it too. I don't know if I know what it means yeah. either. <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe, but what, you know what balance conjures up is like, I've got the right balance in my life between work, between family life, between hobbies, between whatever. I don't know anyone that has that. I really don't. And so I think the inoculation, the way to inoculate that thought is to one, just kind of square it up and say, 
is that really what I want? For me, that's not what I want. What I want is I want to be I want to be fully immersed in wherever I am with this incredible passion that feels right to me, like an inner fire that's alive in the moment. And you know how I know that that's what I want or one of the things I want is because when I'm tired, or I'm, so when I'm fatigued or when I'm fearful, it doesn't come out. And that's, remember the story of me surfing? Mm-hmm. That's what happened mm-hmm. when I was so scared about the, what could go wrong. This is early on, early days, is that I couldn't go to the place of like that true authentic expression, the creative off access view of the world to be about it. And that's what you lit up for me in our first conversation. Like, yeah, like I think I think many of us have that, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel most alive when I'm completely immersed in something. And then because of that kind of social pressure and the, the, the conventional ideas around balance, then I start to sense guilt in myself and then self-judgment. Shame and guilt, shame and guilt, shame and guilt, you know? know? Yeah, and and then so, and then you've got another little thought that creeps in there, which is, man, this thing that I'm doing that I'm fully immersed in, it better be perfect. Right. You know, like, and that's like, because I could be doing this or I should, maybe I should be doing this and not this. Yeah. Psychologists are not funny people, but there's a joke. Stop shooting on yourself. It smells, Uh you know? So like that word should, you know, that's another challenge. Maybe we could do some some sort of fun challenge with your community about, you know, dropping the word should, dropping the word have to, gotta, musta, you know, dropping those words because they create something that is less than. Mm-hmm. And so I should have, you know, it leaves a residue of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I, I, lo- I, no, I, I like I love that. The I mean, that's, that's a big, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I just, I just say I love to go from thought to action. Yeah. So getting that kind of thing to actually happen for people is some of the more challenging parts. I think that's a missing piece in this podcast adventure that I've been on. There's all the information, but there isn't enough, and there's takeaways and all that good stuff, but there isn't enough action steps. So for you, you know, I, I wanted to share this thought for you is the talk about it, walk about it piece. You living the search of self-discovery, the process of self-discovery and leaving, leaving um, not leaving, uh, living in an authentic way about it and not having all the answers because people listen to you, like, oh my God, smart, talented, good looking, fill in the blanks. You're, yeah, you're looking I'm at me like I'm, I'm as screwed alien. up as the next guy. Yeah, but so, me, so you know? like just being about it, that's really important. And I think that I realized early on that some folks would say to me, hey, can you just show up at the competition? And I didn't understand it. Now looking back, I understand it. Just I just reminded them like, hey, no, no matter what happens, like it's good. Like you're extraordinary as a human. Like this is so much fun. What a gift to be able to lay it on the line. And that reminder that I don't need to be perfect. I just would show up that I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know. That that would happen long ago. You're doing that for th- hundreds of thousands of people. Hey, we're okay. <laughs> you know, like let's keep learning and growing. So just going on the journey is an incredible, you know, imprint on wellness, on performance. So I just wanna say that out loud for you. So I've appreciated it. I appreciate myself. that, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, look, man, I'm just trying to figure it out like everyone else, you know what I mean? Me too. And uh, mm. and I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you I've learned a lot over the last five years. And I can't imagine my life without, without this podcast. It's been unbelievable. 
the exposure that it's that it's given me and the audience to all these amazing minds that are doing incredible things. And when you said earlier, like, you know, hey, I'm a fan of technology. It's like, look what technology allows us to do, unfiltered, without any middle person, to just connect with people who, you know, look, we live in Los Angeles. We're, we're you know, amidst, a, you know, a community of all kinds of different people, but, you know, there's people all over the world that listen to your podcast and my podcast who feel alone in their communities and and don't have the exposure to some of these people. So it's just, it's a gift. And when you talk about getting rid of the shoulds and the have tos, like that's, you know, something I learned early on in recovery is to banish those and replace them with the get. Like I get to do this, I get to do this. And that's a very active way of practicing gratitude, bringing gratitude into your life. So the, it very applied way, mm-hmm. right? So you can say the concept or the thought and even back in all the science that would help support it. But until you practice it, it's not real. Yeah, It's just really not real. You know what I just, I have thought a solution. Maybe we'll, we'll dub this in later is that, let's say the philosophy or, or something. So we're gonna fire up this thing called Live in the Tribe. So we've got Finding Mastery Tribe, and it's a group of people that mm-hmm. are supporting and challenging each other. And so we're gonna do live in the tribe. It's gonna be on Facebook, but maybe we do something live, you and I, and we go on and we, we prime people like when this conversation lands uh, or when you uh, air this conversation and say in three days, six days or whatever, we figured this out together. And then, and then we have a conversation live on the tribe together. And then that could be like whoever yeah, kind of cool. like, like blows us away, I like or that. I don't know what I don't know I don't know how to uh-huh. actually rate them because I'm I'm enamored with all of them. They're all equally good. So <laughs> maybe it's the first person. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we do, you know, or the first person that got five people to do one with them. And so I like that, man. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? That would be cool. Yeah. So it's, well, what's really lighting me up about this whole thing is is just the idea of moving into this more action oriented phase of of activating people, you know, in a way that you know, there's practices and tools that are actually available to people that can move the needle for them. I like that. So thank you for that. Thank you. I think we did it, dude. How long have we been going? We're an hour and a half. That's Stop. good, man. Yeah. No, I, I was afraid that you and I were going to go for like three hours. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. I hope. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for the time. That's good. Thank you, man. How do yeah. you feel? Great. You feel good? Yeah. Thank you. You ready to eat? I am. Let's eat, man. Thanks for coming out. Um, so I'm I'm ending this like it's my podcast, but I, <laughs> I, really do this. I was going to say if you want to if you want to connect with Michael, he's easy to find. Uh, FindingMastery.com. dot net dot net. That's right, uh, Michael Gervais on Twitter and Instagram, and the Finding Mastery podcast wherever you listen to fine podcasts. Check it out. And I want to up- upload this on on Finding Mastery uh, as well. So check out Rich's podcast. If you haven't done it, make sure you're connected. Richroll.com. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And again, where all the podcast players are. And your Twitter handle is? At Richroll. That's right. Word. And Instagram as well. Same thing. Same thing. It's easy when you got a cool name like that. So make sure you check it out. And the inspired conversations that are happening there are beautiful. And uh, go back to the source of like why I even got in the space was because Rich created an ecosystem where it felt wonderful to explore and to do it in a way that could um, be authentic. So thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and thank you for, uh, deciding to do it and taking it next level. Let's go. Continue to inspire me. So proud to be your friend. Thank you. All right. Peace, my friend. Until next time, do it again soon. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I have no doubt that there will be a round four in the not too distant future. He's just, he's too good. He's full of too much wisdom. It's amazing. I just absolutely 
adore uh, talking to him and sharing these conversations with you guys. But, uh, you know, it's really funny. So after the podcast, Mike and his lovely wife stayed over for dinner and Julie made this amazing feast. And it was the first time that Mike had met Julie. And at the dinner table, Mike starts doing what he does, you know, probing her like only he can do. And Julie ends up taking Michael down this crazy spiritual rabbit hole, which was wild. I got to tell you, it made me a little, it was a little bit, made me a little bit nervous, but it was also super entertaining. Uh, and I think Michael might uh, be having Julie on his Finding Mastery podcast, which should be fascinating. I'll keep you posted on that. And by the way, I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. You should all definitely subscribe to Finding Mastery. It's fantastic. Anyway, let Mike know what you thought of today's conversation at Michael Gervais on Twitter. Give him a shout. As always, check out the show notes for links and resources related to today's conversation to expand the horizons of our conversation. Uh, All of that's on the episode page at richroll.com. Plant Power Way Italia, it's now out. I keep saying it, but Have you picked it up yet? If you haven't, do so. I guarantee you, you're going to be delighted. 125 delicious Italian plant-based recipes, Italian 2.0. Super proud of this book. But if you want even more amazing plant-based recipes, perhaps plant-based recipes that are not Italian, you should right now go check out our meal planner at meals.richroll.com. We got thousands of plant-based recipes. That's not an exaggeration, literally thousands all super customized based on all of your personal preferences, like allergies, like uh, how many are you cooking for? Like what foods do you not like? What do you like? What is your budget? All that kind of good stuff gets baked in so that you only basically get access to the recipes that you want. It's fantastic. We also have unlimited grocery lists and even grocery delivery in most US cities. We're expanding that internationally. And all of this comes to you for just $1.90 a week. For more, go to meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu at richroll.com. If you would like to support my work, do me a favor, just share this podcast, this episode, or your favorite episode with your friends. Grab their phone and just subscribe them. And if you haven't subscribed already, please do that on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you listen to this. Uh, Subscribe to my YouTube channel. This episode is also up on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash richroll. And you can also support the show on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. Okay, let me thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. Blake Curtis for video and graphics and theme music, as always, by Anna Lemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you soon. Peace. That's Namaste.